roads. Uh, yeah, do please turn to um, that, this passage. In the Bibles, it's page 898. And it'll be helpful for you to, to be able to see it as we go through. Brilliant. Let me just pray again as we start. Father, we thank you and praise you that you are the living God, the one who rules and reigns over all kingdoms of the earth. And we thank you that you deliver and rescue. And please, Father, would you show us that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we are going to be taking a a short break from Daniel after this morning. Uh, We'll come back to it again later in the summer. But the message of the first half of the book of Daniel, and indeed the message of the whole of the book of Daniel, as we will see later on, is that God is in charge. God is in charge. He is, the, he is sovereign over the kingdoms of earth, over big things like kingdoms and rulers, and over, as it were, smaller things like individual lives. All things are in his hands. I wonder whether it seems like that to Christians in Ukraine right now. Judging by appearances, perhaps not. And God's people who were in exile in the book of Babylon, in the book of Babylon, in the book of Daniel, God's God's people in the book of Daniel were in Babylon, they were in exile. And the first readers, they had come back from uh, exile, but they were still living under enemy occupation and uh, 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 foreigners ruling over them. And again, to them, did it seem like God was in charge? Well, quite possibly not. And that is why these events of Daniel were recorded to encourage God's people back then and to encourage God's people today that despite appearances of sometimes, God is in charge. We pray, pray we should, pray we must for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine that they would know this right now. But ourselves too. Okay, we can experience all kinds of things, some of them painful, some of them difficult. Sometimes things are overwhelming and it can seem, well, is God really in charge? Well, I hope that through this book and through these first five chapters that we've looked at so far, you've been increasingly confident of that fact and increasingly comforted by that. And we're going to see it once again today. In fact, we're going to be seeing the ultimate reason for confidence and comfort called this series Faithful in Babylon, as you can see here, describing Daniel and his three friends, what they were back then. They were faithful to God through the most difficult of circumstances. But it's not just describing what they were like, but it's encouraging us to be the same. Living, as it were, as Christians, not in our home. Looking forward to being home, but not there now living in a place that is hostile to God and his people. 
And along with chapter 3, chapter 6 presents the clearest kind of picture and encouragement for us to do that. Let me just put up this little kind of diagram that I'll work through. You might remember back in chapter 2, I I said that there was a switch in language. So chapter 1 was in Hebrew, and then in chapter 2, suddenly we're in Aramaic. And that runs through to the end of chapter 7, when it then returns to Hebrew again. And this kind of chunk of of Aramaic, chapters 2 to chapter 7, they work as, again, this kind of sandwich that we talk a lot about in the Old Testament. Uh, And so on the kind of two outer edges in chapter 2 and chapter 7, we find firstly a dream of four kingdoms, and then later we have a vision of four beasts. And those two kind of work together. And then chapter 3 and today's, again, working together, faithful under threat, um, as uh, Daniel's friends were, and now today it's Daniel's turn. And then in the middle, we saw those two kings, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, proud kings, one humbled, one hardened. And so, so these chapters are working together. So we'll re- echoes of chapter 3, if you were here then, um, when Daniel's three friends were thrown into the fiery furnace. But this chapter, chapter 6, is probably the most famous uh, of the stories um, in this book. By now, Daniel is an old man, 80s, 90s. He's an old man. And we've had a, not just a, a king change, but a regime change as well. So remember last week we saw um, the kingdom passing from um, the Babylonians to that of the Medes and the Persians. And now we see Darius in charge. And like all new kind of government changes, there's a cabinet reshuffle. Okay, so look with me and we'll read, cover the story through together. Verse 1, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Okay, so the kingdom is massive. And so uh, Darius was going to put 120 of these satraps kind of to govern and to collect taxes and those kind of things. Over those 123, of which Daniel was one, he's doing so well, the king's planning to promote Daniel to be kind of number one, to be the, the prime minister, to make sure that the, the king isn't suffering any loss, to make sure things are working smoothly. But as we've seen before, his native colleagues aren't happy. They're jealous. And I'm here kind of covering the story loosely under two headings. Uh, The first one, being faithful to God in this world is hard. Let's see that for Daniel. Verse 4. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regards to the kingdom. Okay, they go digging. They are trying to find fault in his work to get him into trouble. We read on, but they could find no ground for complaints or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. I once had a visit from a member of the MOD to interview me 
uh, because he was doing a security check on an old university friend of mine. Well, Daniel, he would have passed all the security checks. He would have passed, indeed, every check. His finances, squeaky clean. He had no kind of pretty dodgy tweets from decades ago, long forgotten, that could be dug up at any time. They go looking for everything, and they can't find it. But they don't give up. They think, okay, can't find anything in this kingdom, but maybe we could find something about the law of his God. Maybe we can find something there. And so they hatched their plan. Verse 6. Then the presidents and the satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents and the kingdom, sorry, all the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the councillors and the governors are all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the documents so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. It's a genius plan, right? Kind of you hype yourselves up, like all of the presidents and all of the satraps. That's clearly a lie. Daniel's not there, number one. And to gather 120 satraps from across the kingdom would have been nigh on impossible. So they're, they're building themselves, making them sound impressive, and then they go for the ultimate sign of flattery. Hey, Darius, people should only pray to you. Godlike. And then they, they come up with this, they remind the king that this irrevocable law, so if a law was made, it couldn't then be later changed. And Darius, as we'll see right throughout this, this chapter, is weak. Verse 9, therefore King Darius signed the documents and the injunction. Daniel here was facing undeserving, irrational opposition, hatred and hostility. But the real cunning of their hostility is they are trying to force Daniel to make a choice. As it were, he's going to choose between the law of God or the law of the land. That's the tension that is built up for us here. Will he remain faithful to God, or will he crumble and go along with the rest of the world, turning his back on God? And the threat is a big one. Now, you don't do it, you're going to get chucked into a den of lions. You can see this picture here on the, um, on the artwork. That's in the, uh, again, in the British Museum. And that is a um, mosaic, is that the word? The mosaic that was apparently taken from um, the halls of King Nebuchadnezzar. So it's quite possible, it's quite cool, isn't it? Daniel saw that. It was really impressive. But, um, so the lions, are, and kind of throwing people to lions, a punishment back then, a pretty grisly end. And this is what is facing Daniel, this, this tough choice. And look, if, you, if you're going to stay faithful to God, well, that's going to be your fate. And there is no way out. The law can't be revoked. This is it for 30 days. You see here that being faithful to God in this world is hard. Now, if we turn from the first readers to I'm sorry, turn from the story to the the first readers of this and then therefore to ourselves this chapter here is written as an encouragement to us to remain faithful to God 
this chapter helps prepare us that it's not always going to be easy. You know, as Christians, we should expect that people aren't going to like the fact we're Christians and therefore aren't going to sometimes like us. Now, it's not going to be plots on our lives here and now, but mockery and rejection, exclusion. You're not one of those people, are you? We should expect it. And I think the point of verse 4 and 5 here, though, is, again, to remind us, look, that's going to happen even if we're really nice. Well, good. We, we sometimes think, well, you know, I'm gonna, we love people and we're going to um, be kind and generous and caring to them and we're going to seek to share the gospel. And you can do all that and people still, some people still aren't going to like us. We should be prepared that living in this world as Christians, being faithful to him, is hard. And therefore, because it is hard, we, we face that pressure, sometimes external, some people, sometimes people telling us things, telling us what we should do, or sometimes that pressure is internal because of what we're experiencing, that pressure to, I guess, we face that same choice. So are we going to go God's way, or are we going to go the world's way? Are we going to stop coming to church or to vineyards? Are we going to stop witnessing? Are we going to stop being distinctive? Are we going to go God's way or the world's way? Being faithful to God in this world is hard. But what will Daniel do? Well, having seen him take a stand as a teenager in chapter 1, we're probably not surprised, verse 10. When Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Daniel's pattern, his pattern of life. Three times a day, go to this kind of upper room, windows open, facing towards Jerusalem and praying. Why this was pattern? Well, it's something he developed. This three times a day isn't commanded anywhere in the Bible. The fact he's going to Jerusalem is, is probably because in, um, of 2 Chronicles 6, where God's people uh, are told, when you're in exile, pray towards Jerusalem and, uh, and repent, and God will hear you. And so there he is faithfully doing that every day, and he keeps doing it. And in doing so, he falls right into the conspirator's trap. So verse 11... No, no coincidences here. Then these men came by agreement, that same little phrase, they came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his gods. Then they came near and said to the king concerning the injunction, and just see how sneaky they are here. Look, they hold Daniel right back till the end. They said, O oh, king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? Well, they know full well that, because they suggested it. The king answered and said, the, law, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. They're, tracking, they're trapping him in his words. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And there we see, again, the real reason for their hatred towards Daniel. Daniel, one of the, uh, one of the exiles from Judah. They don't like him. He's not one of them. He's a foreigner. 
they're jealous of him and they're hatred of him because they're not one of his uh, one of their people being faithful to God in this world is hard now I've started to, to help us to think about how this applies to us but, but also I'm hoping you're starting to already see a little bit about how this points us to Jesus you know don't these things ring bells framed by jealous officials officials who are unable to find any fault in him and they scratch around and try and find something to pin on him they stitch him up using trickery and cunning Daniel's found guilty of breaking the law of the Medes and Persians Jesus found guilty of breaking the law of the Jews innocent perfectly faithful to God's and yet condemned to die. Here we move into the second half and the second points that God delivers from death. But before we see that, we saw we, before we see God doing that, we see a comparison, a contrast, because the opposite of true is true of Darius. Verse 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he laboured till the sun went down to rescue him. You see the huge irony in this. This decree that is meant to kind of elevate him, almost a kind of semi-divine status, people only praying to you, and yet he can't even do what he wants to do. She's trapped. And he can't come up with anything. And he's not really given much time as well, because here are these, this crew again, verse 15. And then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king established can be changed. For a reminder, in he goes. And so, verse 16. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, or faithfully, the words, deliver you. Here's a picture. It's kind of one that we use with the children. It's quite a sanitised um, picture. Wouldn't have been a, a very nice prospect. It would have been grisly down there. But in he goes. But what I find fascinating are Darius's words there. May your God, whom you serve continually, can be translated faithfully, deliver you. And also, it's interesting that Darius seems to have some kind of inkling that God might. But also, I think this slightly elevates the stakes here. Because it's not... Um, the, the being thrown into the den uh, is, is not a punishment per se. It, it's a trial... Um, Oh, the words left me. Trial by... Someone help me out. You know, like, like the witches, right? Ordeal, thank you. Trial by ordeal. Okay, it's kind of find out their guilt. So you admit, terrible, with the witches, kind of, right, you dunk them in water and if they drown, they were innocent and if, if they come out, they're witches and you kill them. Or what. Like, that's a very bad example. But that trial by ordeal was, was common back then. And this is going to be a trial for Daniel to find if he's guilty. But it's not just Daniel, it's God. Because Darius is saying, look, may God save you. Can he? Will he? That's what we're going to find out. So verse 17, though Daniel's sate is literally sealed, and the stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, 
And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And the king, caring but helpless, verse 18, the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. But as I said, that those words in verse 16 aren't empty. He must have had some kind of inkling that God might save Daniel. Otherwise, why verse 19? At the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And, and he, as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? There we go. He runs in to find out. Verse 21 goes on. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angels and shut the mouths of lions, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his gods. He's alive. There he is. And actually, it turns out that Darius's night was more uncomfortable than Daniel's. Just like in chapter 3, God sent an angel to save him. And you see, it wasn't even a close shave. We were reminded, look, there was not, not even a scratch. There was nothing on him. He was completely fine. The name Daniel means God is my judge. And this verse twice, we get two becauses. Daniel tells us why he was kept safe. Well, we're told firstly that he was blameless. Not sinless, but in this account before God and indeed before Darius, he is blameless in his conduct. And then the second explanation um, towards the end of verse uh, 23, no harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. He trusted that God would deliver him, and sure enough, he does. See, God delivers from death. Five times through this chapter, we, we read this word, deliver. Twice more, we get rescues. God delivers from death. Unless we think it's just because the lions weren't peck- peckish that morning. Verse 24. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. The conspirators, they get their just desserts. I mean, it's harsh. The families are thrown in too. God, says, God prohibited that, but this, is, this isn't Jerusalem. And so they meet a grisly end too. God delivers from death. What an incredible example that we have here of that in the case of Daniel. God delivers his faithful servant from this den. But it isn't, again, just telling us about what God did to Daniel. It is also pointing us forward to what God does through Jesus. And again, do you see the overwhelming ways in which this points us to Jesus? 
So we've seen he's innocent, yet framed and condemned to die. Also, though, we have a leader trying his best to set him free, like Pilate, but ultimately weak in going along with the plans of the leaders. Turned over to be executed, but trusted in his God. A stone rolled over the entrance and sealed early in the morning, emerging from this sealed stone, and then ultimately to be exalted, as we see happens to Daniel 2. But equally, do we see the superiority of what Jesus did as to what happens to Daniel? You see, Daniel was blameless in this instance, but not sinless. Jesus was truly sinless. Daniel faced death. Jesus died. And yet emerged from the tomb, risen to life, never to die again. God delivers from death. Why is it that we should and how can we remain faithful to God in a world where that is hard? We can do it because God delivers from death. You see, going along with the world, crumbling and and hiding, but going along with the world, that offers, sorry, that avoids discrimination and, and pain. And it offers, as it were, a safer future to, to fall back. But God's saving power allows us to risk everything, to risk all, while being, to be faithful to God. You see, Jesus delivers from the very worst thing that anyone could do for us. The worst thing anyone could do for us is, is, is kill us. And yet God has delivered us from that death because when he died and then rose again, he was taking away, as he was on the cross, he was dying, taking away God's people's sin so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be in relationship with him. He delivers us from the worst thing. And again, these first readers were being encouraged to remember that God can indeed deliver them from exile. God can deliver them from these enemy kings and the like. And I guess here now we are, as I've said before, in Babylon. Now, life in this world, for all of us, ultimately ends in death. But again, we have utter confidence that God delivers us from death and will indeed bring us to be with him forever. In the closing words of this chapter, I want to be the closing words of our series, or at least the first half of our series, because they really sum up the message of today. You see, Darius, like Nebuchadnezzar before him, writes a letter. In fact, he goes further. He writes a decree. And as I read these last words, I'd love you to keep in mind the situation in Ukraine or the thing that's going on in your life where things seem like God might not be in charge. And hear these words. Verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations and languages that dwell on the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the ends. 
He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Let's pray. Father, what wonderful words describing you. We praise you that you are the living and enduring God, that your kingdom outlasts any on this world, will last forever. We thank you and praise you that you are the God who delivers and rescues, who works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. You saved Daniel, but you've done an even greater deliverance through the Lord Jesus. And we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.